to wish you a late but very happy Thanksgiving. Um, we uh, thank you for your prayers. A lot of you knew that we were traveling. Melissa and I and Eliana were traveling this week, and so um, we were able to spend Thanksgiving with my family, which is uh, which is always uh, super fun. And so uh, thank you so much for your prayers. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Doug is with his family still this week, and um, we were so thankful that uh, that Pastor John Wynn was able to to share his heart and what God had to share with you last week. And um, uh, Pastor Doug was doing some hunting last week. I don't know exactly how well he did, but I was doing some hunting this weekend, um, although it may have been atypical hunting and that my hunting was of the Black Friday variety. Um, many of you know, I think I've shared before, that um, my family happens to be an avid Black Friday hunting family. And uh, we had... A hilarious slash super fun uh, Black Friday. Actually, it was interesting as I was uh, as I was thinking about this idea of of Pastor Doug's passion for hunting and my passion uh, for Black Friday shopping. Surprisingly, there are a lot of similarities. Surprising, there's a lot. Well, first of all, you have to wake up ridiculously early. However, this year, maybe you didn't even sleep at all if you were like me because the deal started quite a bit early. Uh, we were one of the crazy people uh, at 7 p.m. in a Walmart for the big 10 o'clock uh, Fiasco that ensued later that day, um, but the, the the similarities there you have to wake up uh, certainly very very early, and uh, the the key is to get in there and claim your spot before the other hunters arrive right you want you want the best ground right you 've spent the the day previously kind of scoping out good territory where things are going to be maybe if you 're as organized as my brother and sister in law are you go to the store beforehand to see where they 're going to set up different things, knowing the lay of your land is very important both in hunting and Black Friday shopping because you need to know where the prey is going to be, right? They surprise you at Walmart, the DVDs are in the meat section, right? Or you've got to walk through the women's clothing section to find big screen TVs and so knowing beforehand the lay of the land uh, is, is very important and so uh, you've got to be prepared uh, for all of that. Um, they also, interestingly, just like in deer hunting, they kind of limit the number of, uh, of kills you can make. So they, they hand out tags to you, very similarly like deer tags, and you've got a certain number that you're allowed to, to bag for the weekend. And so you, uh, you, you head out early, you get your, your tags, and, and you head in, and, and hopefully you have a successful hunt. Um, one of the other interesting things that hunters do is they kind of... Uh, cloak themselves with scent so that the other this so that the deer aren't able to uh, see them usually unfortunately it's it's deer urine that they use also interesting on black friday there is also the scent of urine depending on how long you've been standing in a line um some people are there a little longer than others i know it's one of the it's just one of the sick parts of black friday hunting um, and certainly as important as it is in hunting to know your weapon, the more skilled you are with a shopping cart, the more lethal your ability to, uh, to claim your kill. And so uh, there's a lot of, lot of similarities between uh, hunting and, and Black Friday shopping. So um, I did my hunting and it was a grand success. I saw some of the uh, outrageous headlines. Maybe some of you like looking through the news as well. Uh, there was a woman in L.A. who pepper maced 20 people to get to the front of the line. 
that's kind of equivalent to kind of illegal hunting, if you ask me, kind of the, the sniping and things that goes on. But um, all kinds of very interesting uh, fights over $2 waffle makers, uh, things like that. But um, the idea that uh, this morning that we're going to talk about is closely related to this merge and change of perspective as it relates to, to, to hunting and Black Friday uh, shopping, but more specifically the idea of, of, uh, of changing our perspective. This morning I want to spend some time uh, talking about... Um, uh, how God provides for us. Uh, I want to spend a little bit of time, hopefully, kind of shifting our perspective uh, to a degree to understand a little bit more about who God is and how He interacts in our lives. But let me pray for us this morning. Father, we are so thankful uh, that this morning we serve a God who so lovingly and passionately pursues us uh, that it was, uh, it was uh, highlighted with the sacrifice of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this morning as we study your word that we would uh, more fully understand who you are and understand our relationship with you this morning, Lord God. Uh, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would speak through me this morning and that our hearts would be prepared to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Um, I'm going to have you do something this morning that may seem and look a little silly, but it will help us understand this idea of perspective. If you want to put up your pointer finger in the air, kind of raise it above your head and start to spin in a clockwise position above your head. Look at the tip of your finger as it spins. Now slowly bring your finger down in front of your face and then below your chin and look at your finger and tell me which way is it spinning. Counter clockwise. Try it again. You start up here. Some of you are like, wait a second, what just happened? I'm spinning clockwise. My finger comes down. Which way is it spinning? Counterclockwise. It's not an optical illusion. Well, actually, it is an optical illusion. Your finger is still spinning in the same direction, but it all depends on what your perspective is. From this perspective underneath, you're, it's spinning clockwise, but when it, you are, have a different perspective, all of a sudden, the angle that you look at it changes the relationship that, that takes place there. That's a pretty neat thing, and some of you will be spinning your fingers for a long time trying to figure out how that all works. But... This morning I want to talk a little bit about the idea of changing uh, our perspective as it relates to understanding God's provision and understanding God's faithfulness. And um, I hope that you are prepared to read lots and lots of Scripture this morning because I have a ton of it for us. And we will get through it all and I will help us understand a lot of what, hopefully, I'll help us understand a lot of what God has to share with us this morning. But if you want to open up your Bible to the book of Ephesians... Ephesians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, which is handy that it's called that. Uh, it helps us understand that. And the Ephesians were, uh, was uh, one of the early churches that Paul spent some time in teaching and developing, and this is a letter, kind of a follow-up letter that Paul sends to the Ephesians. And as it relates to this idea of, of um, thankfulness, what we have to be thankful for this morning, we're going to take some time and uh, understand and shift our perspective as it relates to understanding God's faithfulness and, and uh, how thankful we can be for God's faithfulness. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time here in the first chapter of Ephesians and we'll kind of make our way through it and we'll read a bunch of stuff and we'll stop along the way and we'll explain some things and we'll take a look at 
at some other scriptures that, that uh, tie into this. But uh, if you'll just bear with me, we'll move through and I'll try to navigate us as smoothly as possible. Uh, but the ver- first two verses uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 here is just kind of Paul's introduction. He's just saying hello to everyone. I'm going to be reading uh, the majority of this morning from the, um, the English Standard Version. It's a different uh, translation that you may be used to, but I like some of the wording of it. It's uh, the English Standard Version is a, is a very close um, following of the Greek, and so some of the wording looks a little bit differently. But the truth is all the same regardless of the translations uh, that you may be using this morning. But if your words look a little bit differently than mine, that's why. Um, yet I, I, I am certain, because I've looked at it in different translations, that the truth is similar uh, regardless of the translation. Uh, but the first two verses in Ephesians chapter 1 is just kind of Paul's introduction to the, church, uh, to, to the people uh, in Ephesus. And where, where we're really going to start is in verse 3. And let me just kind of give you some interesting information here. Um, the first several verses here in verse 3, in fact, verse 3 all the way through verse 10 in the original manuscripts is one really mega run-on sentence. And um, whoever the, however the translation process happens here... English teachers teach us you cannot have these crazy run-on sentences. So we had some periods of things like that. It doesn't really change the meaning, but I'm going to read all of it together so we can hear it and get a sense of how it all flows together, and then we'll go back and we'll break down uh, some of the different parts of it. So uh, starting in chapter uh, or starting in chapter 1, verse 3, um, and I'll be reading through uh, the first 10 verses here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, made known to us through the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. The reason why I wanted to read all that together is I want us to fully kind of absorb how that all goes together. And Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is kind of split up into two sections, uh, two main themes. The first three chapters of Ephesians kind of talks about uh, God's greatness towards us. It talks a little bit about who God is, His, his nature, His faithfulness. And then the second half of Ephesians 4 through 6 talks about kind of what is our response now? How do we live in light of God's faithfulness? And the first half uh, of this uh, of this chapter here, these first ten verses in Ephesians, really starts to get at the heart of who God is, what He did through Christ, and how that impacts our lives. And so now I'm going to spend a little bit of time here, kind of backtracking a little bit and explaining a little bit more some of these verses. So going back to verse three, real quickly. It says, Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. This word uh, in in verse 10 here, or I'm sorry, this word in, um, in verse 
verse 5, it's, it's got a word adoption and the idea that we have been adopted through Christ. And uh, there's a Greek word here uh, for adoption and it's husathia. And, and essentially what that specific word as it relates to adoption means, it's a noun that refers to the idea or the emphasis that we are children of God and more specifically we are children with full inheritance rights with the same status as a biological or a natural child would have. And that's really significant for us as Christians. We haven't just been added to God's family and He's like, Oh, I love you, that's so wonderful. We have literally become heirs with Christ in God's eyes through Christ. He has, God has adopted us into His family and we have all the rights that a child of God, a.k.a. Jesus Christ, would have. We have the same rights through Christ because of His sacrifice. Before the foundations of the world, it says, that He would see us holy and blameless through Christ. And so in love He predestined us. And He said, these people will be My children and I will love them and they will have uh, every right that a child of God should have. Verse 6. Actually, we'll go back up to verse 5 into verse 6. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. I want to focus in on those first parts of verse 6 there where it says, to the praise of His glorious grace. It's easy for us if we stop at verse 5 to say to ourselves, what an amazing thing God has done for us, that He would make us His children. What a great thing for us. But if we continue to read on, that is true, but something even more important is true here. As we read on in verse 3, the reason why He did this was to the praise of His glorious grace. God adopted us as children to glorify Himself. And you may think, wait, this sounds really, really selfish. And maybe to a degree that's true, but what we need to understand as we change our perspective, as we look differently about God's provision, as we look differently at God's faithfulness, we'll begin to see that God is motivated in a way that He will bring glory to Himself. Everything that Christ did brings glory to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we have been adopted to the praise of His glorious grace. We have been made His children so that we have the opportunity to give glory to God. That's what it means when it talks about this idea of to the praise of His glorious grace. In the next section, we'll really get a sense of of what God has done for us as we take a look at the pronouns. We'll start in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Lots of He's and Him's and His purposes and His plans and wonderful things that He has done. And one of the the amazing things that we need to recognize as it relates to God's provision, one of the things that we need to be thankful for as it relates to God's provision is God's wonderful plan is not dependent on our faithfulness. God's wonderful plan is dependent on His love and His faithfulness. Which is why it's so easy for us to get down on ourselves and think, I'm not good enough, I can't work hard enough, I'm too far away from God. And God says, no, 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 you've missed it. Your perspective is completely wrong. It's not about how good you can be. It's about how good I am. 
It's not about what you have done. It's about what I have already done for you. And so our relationship with God is based on His faithfulness more so than it is based on our faithfulness. In this section, it talks about the idea of in the fullness of time. In this last verse here, in verse 10, it says, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite things together with Him, things in heaven and things in earth. Uh, the, the, the Greek kind of verbiology there as it relates to the fullness of time is the, is the specific idea that when the time was ripe, at the specific time, God had a, had a specific moment when everything would come together. And at that specific time when everything was repaired, it was at the cross with Jesus. Christ, when He reunited us with Christ, when everything was repaired at the right time. The central theme of this, pas- of this passage is that God has effected cosmic reconciliation through Christ. The work of Christ on the cross is the central axis of history, of creation. Whether it be in the heavenly realms or here on earth, what Christ did united all those things together. Let me give you another example of that. We'll come back to Ephesians here in just a second, but flip over to Colossians. It's just a, a book, two books away. Paul is writing here to the Colossian church, very much in the similar way that he's encouraging the Ephesian church. And he wants to point out the idea of the preeminence of Christ, that He was first, that He is over everything. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Since he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Everything hinges on Christ. Everything hinges on what Christ has done to repair our relationships, our relationship with God. It's all about Him. And what we need to do is change our perspective. When we believe it's all about us, we believe that it's all dependent on us. But God has provided for us. And He's provided for us richly through His Son, Jesus Christ. Back to Ephesians. Ephesians uh, verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In verse 11 here, there's a very controversial word amongst the Christian world view, and it's that word predestined. And there's a lot of controversy as it relates to this idea of God's predestination or God's free will and where our actions come into place with God's sovereignty. And yet I feel like the reason why there's so much confusion regarding this little word predestination is because our perspective is off. 
We're fighting about the wrong things. And what we need to recognize, more so whether there's free will or whether there's predestination, what we need to recognize is the fact that God is sovereign. God is sovereign, directing all things freely according to His will, according to His royal counsel. One of the things that was significant to the Ephesian church and one of the reasons why Paul is encouraging them is the idea that uh, to, to the people of that time, it's a sharp contrast between the pagan gods of that time that were understood to be fickle and understood to be uh, inscrupulous and, and arbitrary in their fate. And what Paul wants the people of Ephesus to understand is we serve a God who is sovereign, who is in control of everything, And that He has predestined things according to His purposes, the works and counsel of His will. And that, through that, is where our inheritance comes from. It doesn't come from us working really, really hard to look really, really good before God. It comes through God's sovereignty that He has provided for us. Verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory... In him, you also have, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. In Ephesians chapter 14, it talks about the idea of the Holy Spirit being a seal for us, a guarantee of our inheritance, a guarantee of us being God's adopted children. The Holy Spirit, is a, it, it, it talks about it through other verses as well, as a seal on us that God recognizes we are His children because of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that lives within us. This isn't talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit, although that is part of it as well. But when we receive Christ, when Jesus left, He sent the Holy Spirit uh, to be our counselor. And so those of us who have relationship with Christ, we have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee. And then one more time He throws in there, Why is that? Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? Why has God identified us? Why has He sealed us as an inheritance? Not for our good, although we benefit from that. The reason why He's done it is because it's for the praise of His glory. So that God would get glory for us being His children. After we get through the first, uh, after we get through the first um, 14 verses of this chapter, there's another one of those mondo, huge, uh, run-on sentences. And it kind of goes to the end of the chapter. And so I'll read that again for us, and then I'll break it down a little bit more. But I want you to hear it in context uh, of, of how it was communicated, because all of the thoughts go together. They're not separate thoughts. I'm separating them so that we understand them more. But the idea is they all flow together. It's one continuous thought. And this is Paul's prayer of thanksgiving uh, and, and his prayer for the Ephesians church, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the work of His great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, uh, at the right, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What do we have to be thankful for here? What is this prayer for? In verse 15, taking a step back so that we can slowly chop through this again. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I, I, do, not, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the love for God's people is what he gives thankfulness for. Most of the, the churches here in the New Testament, you see it at the beginning of Ephesians, you see it in Colossians, you see it in Galatians, you see it in Thessalonians. When, when, when he's given thankfulness, when he recognizes the good characteristics of the early church, it is twofold. They love God, and accompanying that all the time comes the idea of loving other people. He says, that he is thankful for their faith in the Lord and their love towards all the saints. Christ tells us very clearly that, that people will know we are his disciples because of the way that we love, because of the way that we love each other, and certainly because of the way that we show love to other people. Paul teaches the Galatian, teaches the Galatian church that, that religious ritualism means nothing in light of the most important thing, which is expressing yourself in love. The Galatians, uh, which is another church here uh, in the same area, got caught up in the, this, this whole idea of spiritual ritualism and the idea of circumcision and, and how people are added to God's family. And Paul says, you're missing the point, your perspective is off. It's not about the, the rituals and it's not about the, the, those sorts of things. What is significant is how do you love each other? It's not about the buildings that we gather in. It's not about the songs that we sing or even the words that we say. It's about how we love each other. Because, see, what's, interest, what's radical to the world isn't buildings, it's not songs, it's not great alliteration, it's not fancy speaking. What's radical to the world is love... Because the love that God talks about here is different than the love that the world is used to. In the eyes of the world, love is radical. In the eyes of the world, showing love with nothing expected in return is revolutionary. Love for love's sake is the gospel. We don't love so that God will love us more. We don't love so that we get something from other people. The type of love that is reflected of God's love is a sacrificial love that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, not, in, not demanding anything in return from us. That's the kind of love that God also wants to see reflected in our lives. When we show love to other people for the sake of love, to the praise of His glorious grace, not expecting anything in return. That's the kind of love that's radical in the eyes of the world. That's the kind of love that represents the Gospel. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. 
The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him here refers to the notion of us truly knowing who God is. To truly know Him personally. And the idea of, of, of knowledge as it relates to this specific word knowledge here in the Greek is the idea of knowing Him through experience. Knowing Him through intimacy, not just knowing Him intellectually. There's a very scary verse in the Bible uh, that, that when someone uh, finds themselves in heaven and before Christ, they, they talk about all the, the great deeds they did in God's name, and yet he's sent away and he said, you never knew me. And so it's possible to intellectually know who God is, uh, but to miss the relationship part, to miss the intimacy of relationship with God, to know him. We see that intimacy in the Gospel of John, if you want to flip there. We see what this intimacy is supposed to look like through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a look in John chapter 17. This section, I'll be, this portion I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And the reason I've chose this one is just kind of the, the way that it flows, because I'm going to be reading uh, the whole chapter, which is like, wow, that's a lot of scripture. But the reason why I want to read it all is because this, this chapter 17, this, this whole section is God's prayer, or this is Jesus' prayer, his last prayer before being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is his last prayer. Uh, at the Last Supper with His disciples. And He's praying for His disciples, and we'll also see that He's praying for us as well. And so if God is praying about something, and it's for us, it's good for us to know what He's talking about. But specifically, it helps us understand the intimacy and the desire for God's relationship with us. Verse 17, starting at, or chapter 17, verse, starting at verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that, he can so that He can give glory back to you. Again, the idea there of the to the praise of His glorious grace, even in the light of Christ's life. For you have, given, you have given Him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given Him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. This is the key that I was talking about that, that God is communicating when He says, I never knew you. You may have done all these great things in my name, but I never knew you. And, and, and Christ here spells it out for us. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you had given me to do. Now, Father, bring me into your glory that we shared before the world began. I have revealed I have revealed you to the ones you have given from this you have given me from this world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. They they accepted it and now I and know that it came from you and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those that you have given me, because, you belo because they belong to you. All, you are, all, you are, all who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so that they bring me glory. Now I am departing from this world. They are, they are staying here in this world, but I, uh, 
But I am coming to you, Holy Father, and you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I have protected them by the power of of, of the name that you gave me. I guarded them so that they would not be lost, except for the one one headed for destruction, as the scripture foretold. That's referring to Judas. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is true. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I gave myself as a holy sacrifice to them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and they and, and you and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that the, and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want the, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I do, and these disciples know that you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. What's significant about the last prayer that that, that Jesus prays for us? Before he is about to be betrayed. Before he is about to be rejected by the very people that he is, is praying for currently. Is a super significant thing for us to understand fully. God's prayer for us, Christ's prayer for us here, is that we would be united to Christ. That we would know him and have the same relationship with him that Christ has with the Father. And the idea is that it's, it, it, it hinges on that relationship. And the good news is it's not based on our faithfulness, it's based on what Christ has done. And it's to His glory, and it's to His praise. And if we change our perspective and we stop believing that it's all about us, and we start realizing that it's all about Him, we recognize that He has given us everything that we need for this relationship to take place. And so we don't have to toil, and we don't have to work hard, and we don't have to struggle, because Christ has already taken care of it for us. All we need to do is just be faithful to sit and hang out with our Creator. To spend time with God our Father. It even says in here that He'll teach us everything that we need to know. Does that mean we just sit back passively and we just kind of float in the water and say, God, I'm in relationship with you? No, it means that that, that we pursue Him and that God will do those good works in us and through us. God will provide for us if we can learn to trust in His faithfulness. That's the gospel right there. That is relationship with God through Christ. We're almost done. Back to Ephesians. Verse 18. 
having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might. Paul packs in a lot of really powerful words here. He packs in a lot of words that talk about the idea of what are our blessings that we have in Christ. Our blessings is our future hope. Our blessings is God's inheritance in the saints. And thirdly, it's the power in Christ. But there's a really, really cool thing right here in the midst of verse 18. When it talks about inheritance, it's not talking about our inheritance. If you notice, it says His inheritance in the saints. For God, His inheritance, what He values above everything is us. We are His inheritance. And it's to the praise of His glory, that's why He finds such value in us. Is that amazing to you that, 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 that God, what God looks forward to for all of eternity is His inheritance, His relationship with us? To me, that's revolutionary. That God would find such joy in relationship with us. And it allows us to change our perspective and understand why He has provided generously so much for us. Because He values it so very much. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the work of His great might that He worked in Christ when He, when he raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him head over all things to the church." We see lots of big words and big powerful words here as it relates to immeasurable greatness of God's power working and His great might towards His believers. One of the things that's significant here, not only for us, but certainly for the Ephesian church as well, is the, the, the powerful forces of the occult and, and, and black magic and, and, and those who worship other gods and demon worship and things like that was very, a very powerful influence in the Ephesian church. And what Paul wants to point out super clearly here is that God is over all of those things. He has been placed above all authorities, not just us measly little earthly creations here, but He's been in the heavenly realms as well as the earthly realms. And he has been placed in authority over all spiritual things as well. And that is significant for us as God provides for us everything that we need. Almost done. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In verse 23, it talks about the body of Christ. The body of Christ, that's us, His church. Christ has so identified Himself with the church that He has called us His very body. That's the type of relationship that Christ wants to have with us. That we would be so interrelated to Him that He would be the head and we would be His body. It's, like, it's likened to Adam and Eve when Adam refers to Eve as bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are connected. We are united. We are one. It's when it talks about uh, the idea of a man and woman when they are married, they're joined together and they become one flesh. That is God's desire for us in Christ to the praise of His glorious grace, that we would be His body, that we would be connected to Him. 
And so what is our role? Our role is to fulfill the same mission that Christ came to do. We are that connected to Him. To glorify God. This sounds super intimidating for us because if we're looking at it from the wrong perspective, it feels like we've got a lot of hard work to do. And when we take a look at how well we glorify God, a lot of times we recognize that we miss the mark all too frequently. But as we take a look at all the words and all the things that we've just read in this first chapter, we identify the fact that God has provided everything that we need to the praise of His glory. That God has supplied everything. That it's all about Him. It's His work in us and His work through us. In Corinthians, it talks about the idea that those who are in Christ are a new creation. How are we supposed to glorify God if we are still our old creation self? If we are still our old sinful self? And what God says is, I have provided a way out for that for you. When you are in Christ, you become a new creation. And when you become a new creation, you get a new heart. And your new heart is because I've given you Christ's heart. And when our heart is renewed, then our behavior is able to be changed. How can we expect people who don't have a new identity in Christ, who don't have a new heart, to look like Christ? If that's our expectation of them, then we teach them moralism, not relationship with God. We teach them how to look like Christians without having Christ's heart. And so we teach them to fake it and look like it. And we find out very quickly you can only fake it for so long before everything begins to erode underneath of you because it can't be done on our own. It's when we're made a new creation, when God gives us His heart, that our behavior begins to change. And when our behavior changes, then then our, our mission and our purpose changes. And it has to happen in that order because if it doesn't happen in that order, then it, it, it's all fleeting and it fades so very quickly. And as we begin to change our perspective and as we begin to see it all differently, I think the biggest problem for us, myself included, is that I don't fully understand the sacrifice of what God provided for me in Christ. I don't, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around what happened. I've got a video this morning that we're going to take a look at here real quickly that even to some degree tries to express the sacrifice that God has provided for us. I'll show you that video this morning to manipulate you emotionally. But my intention is for us to change our perspective, to understand even to a degree more fully the sacrifice that was provided for us. And, and what's so striking to me in that, yes, certainly as a father, the loss of a, a, a child is devastating. But what's striking to me is the people in the train have absolutely no idea the sacrifice that has been made on their behalf. It's life as usual for them. They have no idea the great loss that has taken place so that they might be saved. And if we can wrap our brain around that in some way, what God has provided for us is amazing. And it has nothing to do with us. It's what He did for us. Not because we were good enough to earn it. Certainly not. But because He is faithful. 
And so our relationship with Christ is not based on our faithfulness. It's based on His faithfulness. It's based on His provision. He has done everything that needs to be done for us to have relationship with with Him. And for that we are to be thankful. For that we have such great thankfulness. God has provided so much for us. This morning my hope is that we begin to to understand differently about what God has done for us and that that would change everything about who we are, everything about what we do, everything about how we live, and that we would recognize it's His faithfulness that we're through Him that we're able to do anything. And the purpose for us doing anything isn't so that God would be like, good job, you did a great job, but it would be to the praise of His glorious grace. two ways that we can respond this morning to this message. Some of you may not fully still understand this concept of Christ's sacrifice. The price that was paid on our behalf, the penalty for sin, which is death. And that we have a Savior in Christ Jesus who paid that price for us so that we can have relationship with God. And so one opportunity for this this morning as we pray here in a moment is to, to the idea isn't to fully understand all the hermeneutics and all the, 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 the nuances of this, but what is important for us to understand is that Christ is who He said He was, that He is God's Son, and that He did what He said He did, which is pay the price for sin for us. And so in that, we put our relationship in Christ, and in that, we become God's adopted children, and we have the inheritance of Christ second way we respond this morning is for those of us who already, to a degree, maybe understand that and and, and maybe we've already put our faith in that. So the way that we respond this morning is to live a life with a purpose and a mission to get close to God and trust that God will do the rest. That He'll do all the discipline and He'll do all the hard work in us because as we read in His Word this morning, He's already provided all that for us. And when we get close to God, that's when everything starts to change. Not because of us, but because of what He is doing in us. And so we pray, God, draw me close to You. And He's the one that does the drawing. He's the one that does the changing. He has provided so much for us. It's all about His faithfulness, not ours. And so we tell the enemy when when he tries to lie to us, When he tries to tell us we're not good enough, we don't work hard enough, our faith isn't good enough, we say, yes, that's true, but the story doesn't end there. That's where the lie for the enemy takes place. The story doesn't end with us not being good enough, not being faithful enough, enough, not working hard enough. The story ends with, yes, that's true, but God has provided everything that we need to be restored. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how great we are. It doesn't matter how faithful we are. It matters how great He is. And as we draw close to Him, then He changes our lives. Please don't hear me say that we, we're off the hook. We don't have to do anything. We can keep living the same garbage way that we do and then God will just kind of make it all right for us. That's not what I'm saying. A life that recognizes the sacrifice and the provision that's been given to us draws close to God. Then God gives us a new identity. He gives us a new heart and our lives change as a result of that so that we can then live to the praise of His glorious grace. Please pray with me this morning. 
Father, for those that are with us this morning, many of us who have sat in this church potentially for years, maybe some of us, this is the first time in this church, Lord God, and maybe it's the first time that we've heard the name of Christ and His sacrifice and what He did, or maybe this is the hundredth time we've heard it. And yet, God, Your Holy Spirit works in our lives to reveal truth about who You are and what You've done in our lives. Father, I pray this morning for those who need a Savior in their life through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray that, that, they would, that they would be drawn to you, Lord God, because you are the one who draws us to you. We're so thankful that, that you work in our lives this way, that we don't have to be good enough because you are good enough. And so we allow you the opportunity to do your work in our lives as we draw close to you, Lord God. So for those who are making a first-time decision, or even those who are making a hundredth-time decision, Lord God, we pray to you this morning and we say, we are so thankful for you this morning, Lord God. We are thankful that your Son, Jesus Christ, paid the price for sin that we could never pay on our own because we could never be good enough. Father, we pray against the lie of the enemy that, forced, that, that, that his desire is for us to stop at the end of our thoughts that say we're not good enough. And we pray that we dispel that lie, Lord God, and that we recognize that you are good enough and that is all that's necessary. And so we surrender our life to you, Lord God. We put you as Lord of our life. Say, do what you need to in my life, Lord God. We submit to you. Father, for those of us who in some way want to express our gratitude to you, Lord God, we are thankful, so thankful for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. So thankful that you have provided everything that we need, Lord God. Father, change our perspective so that we recognize who you are and who we are in relationship to you, Lord God. So that our lives would reflect your glory. That as your body, as your church, Lord God, that everything that we would do would be for the praise of your glorious grace. That you would get glory and honor for everything, Lord God. Not that we would look good in, in, in this economy or that we would look good in this government or that we would look good amongst other people as Christians, but that you would be glorified, Lord God. That it would be all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.